0: So I respect the fact that what works for me doesn't work for other people, but I also want to accept that you know I'm being harassed because people don't like what works for me. Like this is the thing that's really difficult in the autism communities that people are trying to make it that we're one voice.
1: Tony Hernandez Pumarejo Writer and author Professional and motivational speaker TV presenter Life coach An international ambassador for autism and mental health He is proud to invite you to his podcast My Time With Tony Hernandez Pumarejo
2: Hi, and welcome to this new episode of My Time with Tony Hernandez Pumaijo. And this is your host, Tony Hernandez Pumaijo. I'm truly honored and privileged to have you here today, either watching me or listening to me in this new episode. And today we're gonna I had the honor and privilege of interviewing Miss Eileen Lamb. Eileen is an autistic self-advocate and also a parent to her autistic children. Uh, She's the author of the books called all across the spectrum and be the one and she's the founder of the autism cafe eileen is also a writer photographer and podcast host and she's also the director of social media for autism speaks born in friends eileen now lives in austin texas with her two sons charlie and jude and their sister billy on her blog, she shares the ups and downs of raising two autistic children, one with profound autism while being on the autism spectrum herself. So, you know, her story is very inspirational and she has been a true, you know, strong advocate for our community. So without further ado, let's go to the interview that I had with Miss Eileen Lamb of the Autism Cafe. It is my honor and privilege to have you here today. Eileen, thank you so much for, you know, t- t- for coming in today in my time with Tony Hernandez, Pumarajo.
0: Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me, Tony.
2: Thank you. Uh, it is an honor and privilege to have you, Eileen. Your story is very inspirational. It's a, it's a story that, you know, as a parent and you're, and yourself also being autistic, I mean, I'm going to ask you, for, with you being an advocate, being a parent to, to you, know, you know, to your three children. You know, being an entrepreneur, an author, a writer, you know, employee. My question is, how do you do all of this? I mean, <laughs> what, what helps you to overcome so much, you know, so many you know tasks on your daily living? How do you do this?
0: You know, it's all about balance. And all of these things, they don't happen at the same time, you know, because I'm working when my kids are at school, for instance, and I'm writing when my kids are asleep, And so there is like a time for everything. And I feel like everything fits perfectly into my life. And you can see that there is a common theme into everything I do. I feel like everything has a link to autism. You know, I work at Autism Speaks as the director of social media because of course, as an autistic mother to two autistic children, I mean, autism is like such a big part of my life. So I don't think I could work somewhere that doesn't have a, you know, autism connection so even though it's uh, my my job it feels like I don't know it doesn't feel like like I'm working because you know what they say you you don't work a day a day in your life if you're working doing something that you love and I love advocating for autistic people in our community so for me it's it's really great you know the kids are at school well my youngest Julie's at school and not my youngest he's my middle child now see my baby is one and I still call my middle child my youngest because I'm not used to having three three children yet but school and you know Charlie's in therapy all day so it it gives me gives me time to do those things I love and I love working I guess and then when the kids go to sleep I just uh I write and that's how I I was able to to write uh, those two books
2: Yeah. And, you know, you do so much, you know, I'm very proud of what you do. Your story is very inspirational. You know, I, I believe, and this you know, that our community is in debt with you because you have different perspectives. You as an autistic self-advocate, as an autistic parent, a parent, an entrepreneur, a leader uh, for our community, your perspective is very valuable. And I'm also proud to call you my colleague, you know, working with autism speaks. Uh, So uh, we have done great things together and uh, And, you know, Eileen, I ask, you know, this next question I'm going to ask you, I ask everybody, you know, in my podcast, I ask you, you know, how do you define the life of Eileen Lamb in just a few words?
0: If I have to use just a few words, I'm a passionate advocate for the autism community and uh, also um, a mother and a writer and someone who just pours her heart into everything she does
2: that that's it you know, and that's what it is you know the story of eileen lamb but if, if people ask me you know what's the story of eileen lamb and they told me to define it in this case one word i would call it perseverance you're a very persevering individual you know working with so many things you know in the community personal life work balance parent i mean you have to do so many things and I think the perseverance is the best quality that I can describe Eileen Lamb. And Eileen, you know, let's you know about this amazing story. Let's go back from the beginning. Let's talk about how it all started. About yourself, your childhood, where you come from, and tell us about your life as you were growing up.
0: Yeah, for sure. So I was uh, born and raised in France. That's why you hear an accent. And uh, you know. I had a good childhood, but there were a lot of things that didn't come easy to me. I always felt like I was on another planet, like I could never really fit in with my peers. It was always really strange to look at the kids around me and feel like I was missing something, you know? It's like I I couldn't quite understand what why these things were important to them and not to me why they were laughing at me and not with me and it was it was interesting you know I only really got along with with people when we shared the same interest because then I could go all in and tell them all about it and you know it was just like but so my you know my my life in France my childhood it was a mix of, uh, and that's all I, I ever knew. So I didn't even know it was not a normal experience. You know what I mean? Because you you don't know what you don't know, right? So if people don't tell you that they don't feel the same way you do, I mean, you're not just going to assume that they're feeling differently than you. I was thinking that, oh, well, everyone is probably feeling the same way. To, to a certain extent. Um, but really, when I, I grew up and when I, you know, I reached uh, like 15, 16 when I was a teenager and everyone was enjoying things, again, that I just couldn't enjoy, like going to concerts. That was like so big, um, you know, parties. And, you know, I like parties all right, but I had to, and, you know, I'm, I'm opening up here. I couldn't like socialize unless I had like a drink or two before like I needed something to be able to interact with people I couldn't go to uh, like the fireworks like that's a big thing in France on the uh, July 14th because that's the national uh, you know day in France Bastille day as you call it here and I remember like for a few years like a few years in a row trying to like go with everybody and I just couldn't do it you know and I think That's a story I mention a lot because it was really shocking to me to see everyone like so, so like happy about like, oh yeah, we're going to go see the fireworks. And like, they love like being in the crowd and the noise and the lights. I'm just like, I couldn't even like, you know, I was like thinking about it weeks before, having anxiety and trying to work myself up to it. And I just couldn't do it. So anyway, there was, there were a lot of ways in my life where I just felt like I didn't I didn't fit in um yeah and you know there was some bullying too which we can get into later but so that was that was my life not you know neutral not super happy not not bad but I definitely felt different from a young age
2: and that's very common I mean with many different stories in our artists and You know, not only autism, but also you know, disability community. In this case of autism, that you know, you feel that there was something different about you, even though you don't know what was exactly was. Um, uh, At what age were you diagnosed with autism?
0: So I was twenty-five. It's only until I came to the U.S. and that my oldest son was diagnosed that I put the pieces together.
2: Okay, so that's where it was a confirmation. In terms of what it was and going, to, you know, you went through that transition moving from not only a country, but also a continent, you know, as well to the U S you mm-hmm. know, being born and raised in, you know, in a different country, in this case, France, uh, before you moved to the U S or did you had some conceptions about the U S uh, before you move in and, and how did it change after the, after you move into the U S, especially moving to Austin and Texas?
0: You know it's funny because I feel like a lot of people, especially in France, like when they think about America and the United States, they just kind of like make fun of it. Oh yeah, you know all the burgers and like all you the know, seafood, and you know they have like a lot of uh, judgment about it. And to me, and I grew up watching TV shows that were like all in America. <laughs> You know, like a how how is it called in America? Seven Seven Evans, I think, is the is what you call it. It's like all that family with all the kids, anyway. And you know, like seeing the yellow school bus and like all of these kids, and it seemed like accepting. And they had like cool things we didn't have in France. And I don't know, the yellow bus to me was something that I was like, one day I'm gonna ride 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 that yellow bus never happened but anyway so I had like I've always like really seen America as you know the American dream which a lot of people also do it's not all like the negative and uh I wasn't happy in France by the time I reached like 20 21 you know I kept losing all of my friendships I didn't understand why it just I couldn't get my you know I had gotten my uh high school degree couldn't get a uh, a degree uh, past that because every time i try going to the university i would just have a meltdown because there were too many people and again i didn't know why I was just like you know what is wrong with me you know it's not like i can have like a beer at seven in the morning like before going to class you know that's just so i just stopped going and i had nothing going on in my life except you know i was i playing online poker the the game texas all them and so that was what I was doing. I was earning money doing that. But I was like, that's not life. You know, I'm not going to, I mean, that could be life. But I knew it wasn't realistic. I wasn't going to be a professional poker player. So anyway, I looked in two ways to go to the United States, uh, you know, on a, on a visa. And uh, one way was to be an au-, au pair, which is like a nanny taking care of a kid. So that's what I did. And uh, I found a family in Austin, Texas. And I kid you not after one day here I had never felt that in my heart like I had never felt this good and I didn't even speak the language yet you know except like hi how are you like very basic language but everyone was like smiling like I was walking down the street and people were saying hi to me and it was just like the weirdest but in a good way like experience you know I felt like I was accepted like no one gave a cared how i was like dressed or how i behaved it was just like i felt accepted like right away and it was just like mind-blowing to me and well it's no surprise that 12 years later i'm i'm still here yeah
2: that's very interesting you know in terms of you know your perspective and how how you look at things how your life was going before coming to the us and how your perspective and view involved moving after you know after you know after moving to the u s and it's very interesting because this is the topic I wanted to talk to you about because you know not not only you know it's not only autism specific but there's always a comparing contrast between countries, for example, oh Europe has better health care than here or it's better than this area than here, and I think it's very important to realize that Europe is a continent and, and there's differences between the countries uh for example um uh, not going back to autism the other day. I was just, I was sending letters. I was sending proposals to autism organizations and special needs organizations around the world. And it was very interesting to see the number of organizations per country in terms of a ratio, you know, how many organizations were in this country compared to this, for example, and I'm going to use your home country, France. Um, you know, when I was doing research in France, and I i, I didn't see too many autism or special needs organizations in France in comparison, for example, to Spain, which, you know, neighboring countries, I saw that Spain has more, um, and I can tell you from this from experience, because I've been to Europe one time, and that was when I went to Spain, because my brother lives in Spain, and I went to this autism organization when I was there, but the highest, the very high number of autism organizations in Spain, in comparison to France, is very interesting. And I know that there's been talk about in terms of, in, you know, in other countries, not only France, but other countries, you know, they look autism or special needs as something more of a burden still. Uh, they have that mindset that was like, you know, pre, you know pre-age pre uh, mindset about autism. And I want to talk to you about, you know, as you grew up in France, and and I know you're the best person to share this with us, you know, what was the, some of the challenges or stigmas? Uh, the special needs families face in your home country. Can you go in detail about those challenges and if it's possible comparing contrast in terms of services in France to those in the US?
0: Yeah, I mean, and and I think like a lot of people are going to be surprised, but if you have an autistic child, you don't want to be in France. You know, like people think of France as, oh, wow, universal healthcare. Well, did you know that's like in my hometown, like it takes... uh, a year to get an appointment just to get like an eye exam
2: wow. yeah
0: it's like that was a, an article in the newspaper in my hometown like uh, last week um did you know that only uh 20 percent of uh, autistic kids have access to appropriate education in france most of them like you know are not in school and you know aba therapy for instance there are only i don't want to say a number but there you can count on two hands the number of ABS centers in France we're talking about a country just in Austin Texas where I live I think we probably have like 20 25 probably more I'm not even counting anymore you know um, and not only that but most of the time in France um, insurance doesn't cover the- therapy so great you have free health care like if you have a cold but if you have a child with autism, you're going to be paying out of pocket, you know, for everything. And you're going to be struggling to get services because the waiting lists are insane, which, you know, it's it's an issue in the U.S. too, to a lesser extent. But in France, getting care, I mean, from what I've heard from people who follow me, it is horrible. And things are changing, but very, very slowly. Um, I mean, just autism diagnosis in France you know, it's still like, I, I don't know the exact stats, so I'm not going to say, but like in the US, there were one in 36 children being diagnosed with autism. Um, I know that just a few years ago, it was uh, one uh, over 200 in France. And I think they're in the hundreds now, so it's getting better. Again, don't get me wrong, but uh, there is a, a long, long, long way to go. Um, when I was growing up, again, I didn't know I was on the spectrum even though I was a textbook autistic child. I mean, it's pretty funny looking back on it, but I was diagnosed as, and it's not even a diagnosis because my mom took me to some specialist um, and I was, they said, well, she's shy and she's gifted. It's like, what does this tell you now? You say that, like, don't you think like Asperger's like right away? Oh, you know, like the pieces were there. I learned to read when I was three, read and write, which was like, Hyperlexia, Um, and you know they just put a bunch of like they had explanations for everything, you know, none of it was autism, (laughs) Um, and I just feel like nowadays I I would have been diagnosed, like you know, no no problem, and and, you know maybe even in the US back back then in the 90s I wouldn't have been diagnosed because there's been not just in France you know but here too diagnosis criteria especially for girls has become you know, not different, but p- people, doctors know more about autism in mean, girls and all of that. But um another thing about friends and the stigma is that for instance, um I uh, so I had therapy as a as a teenager. I went to therapy on my own. I made that decision because like I said, I was like, why am I losing all of my friendships? Why I feel so why do I feel so different? And there is such a stigma around mental health that I would Put a hood hoodie on my head when I entered the the building to go to therapy, because people make fun of you because only crazy people go to therapy. That's what people think in French France. Not all of not all of the people, but there is a big stigma around that and mental health. Again, I think it's getting better, but it's still not there. Um, even like recently. A politician, very famous politician uh, in France, said something like, well, I I heard them, I'm not autistic, in a speech. And I was like, what, since five, six years ago? I mean, there are just so many things that are wrong about France and autism. I know so many families who are trying to move, even like to Belgium, Switzerland, a lot of them are trying to move to the US, but you don't get a visa like that. You know, it's really difficult to move to to a different country uh, to, to the US when you're from Europe. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, it's it's just bad. And uh, yeah, you know, we pay for insurance here a lot, but like Charlie gets 40 hours a week of ABS therapy, 40 hours. It's just like, well, you know, so we get insurance, you and I, through Autism Speaks, which, Mm. yeah, we, we pay for monthly. I mean, Charlie is on my insurance, and I pay nothing for ABA. I just pay for the insurance, right? And that's 40 hours a week. And I think that's just, like, that's incredible. And, you know, I'm struggling with the school district with Charlie, but at the same time, he's at school, and at least, you know, I can fight. Um, I'm just like fighting for more for him. But in France, he wouldn't even be at school and there is no law that makes that he has to go to school. So at least here, I have something to fight for. In France, I would have nothing, you know? And the one time I went back to France since moving to the US, which was 2015, yes, 2000, 2014. I haven't been to France in almost 10 years. Yeah. Right. See how I feel about France. Um <laughs> charlie was having a meltdown he was like one and a half he hadn't been diagnosed yet and the guy walks by and say wow like this child is is so rude he needs like better uh parenting seriously like i've been in the u.s for like what 12 years now and charlie has had a lot of meltdowns and yeah you know some people stare and look but no one has ever said anything that rude, and I was just like one week of my life uh, since becoming a parent in France, and I got that rude comment. So yeah, here it is. Yeah. I feel like I just like ranted about France so much. People <laughs> are gonna think I hate France, and a little bit, but you know, not that much.
2: Well, uh, I'm interested in visiting France, so just to see how it, so how it, how it is. But um, you know, it's very interesting, and your perspective is very you know it's very valuable because you've been there. You were born and raised there. It's not like you go to, let's say, Reddit and say, "Oh, go to France or go to Spain." Everything is wonderful: healthcare, housing, social services, education. But one thing is on the forums, and another thing is in reality when you go there. Obviously, everything is case by case. And as I mentioned, you know, we have the continents. Europe is not the same. There's different. You know, countries have differences, cultures, systems. Here in the even the U.S. here. You know the different the states are the states are not all the same. Some states have more services than others, and not mm-hmm. only that. Another area that I think we need to, uh, which we focus on more, is in terms of the comparison of services between metro areas and rural areas. Uh, recently, I did an article, on my blog, which I talk about, for example, the challenges that Hispanic families that have loved ones on the spectrum face in rural areas comparing contrast to metro areas, let's say, Florida, California, Texas, New York, for example. So I think that, you know, most, you know, obviously the consensus here is that if you're in the metro area, there's a higher chance you will get the services that you need. But if you're in a rural area, then unfortunately, sadly, it's going to be super difficult uh, to get services. And so it's very interesting, you know, from your perspective and your experience being in a different country, um, how, how has things worked there so far? And it's great. And yeah, you mentioned something very important as well. It's, it's, it's the stigma, especially with mental health. Uh, mental health is something that unfortunately, there's still a lot of stigma everywhere. And there's some that's an area that we need to work on as a society because mental health is real. Mental health crisis is real. There's no stigma. There's no faking it. It's real. And I very appreciate you sharing that perspective, Eileen. So now from France, 're gonna we're gonna transfer to the US so we, we won't speak about French uh, okay. any, anymore. Um, let's go to the good old USA. let's talk about now you as a parent. Um, just wanted to confirm at what age was Charlie diagnosed with autism and also your son uh, Jude?
0: Uh, Charlie was 22 months old and Jude was five.
2: Okay. And if you can share with us a little bit about your experiences, you know, especially with both of them, you know, how you navigate their evaluation, diagnosis, intervention? Uh, what, and what, is the, what was the the difference in terms of experience, you know, raising and helping Charlie and also helping you? What were some, you know, similarities and also some differences if you can share that with us?
0: Yeah. I mean, so Charlie was diagnosed first. Charlie's my 10-year-old. He was diagnosed when he was 22 months old. He started losing his words when he was 18 months. And, you know, I was a first-time mom, and I was speaking French and English to him, and I was like, well, maybe it's just a bilingual thing. Like, it's harder for him to, you know, pick up on language, keep it up. But anyway, I took the M-chat, which is, you know, uh, was uh, the online M-chat was funded by Autism Speaks, which... uh, Something I learned recently is that before the m um, Autism Speaks, you know, made the M-Chat available online, people has had to, you know, fill out the MCHAT chat questionnaire, send it in the mail, and wait for the results back. That's how it was before. So big, uh, big kudos uh, to Autism Speaks for that. So the, the, uh, the M-Chat, if you don't know, is uh, an online questionnaire. Well, now it's online. And it ask, asks 20 questions about your child, things your child does or doesn't do. And uh, any score above three is a risk for autism. Again, 20 questions. Charlie scored 18. So we called early intervention, which is free or low cost uh, in every state. Just uh, Google early intervention and your, and, and your state. And he was evaluated, and he qualified for speech therapy, OT. I mean, he qualified for everything. He was, like, so behind. And again, I felt bad because as a mom, like, I didn't know how, you know, he was my first child. I didn't know he was supposed to be pointing. I didn't know he was supposed to be clapping. You know, like, these things that, of course, inside is 2020 now makes sense. So we got a little bit of therapy with ECI. He was, like, 20 months at that time but they told me quickly he needs more you need to get him evaluated for autism and I you know we got an appointment with a developmental pediatrician and he was diagnosed at uh, 22 months old with with autism and it's like at that point I wasn't surprised anymore because you know I had started learning about all of it um, they recommended ABA therapy for him I went off to Google and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, what is we're, going on? We're going
2: to talk about that in just a little bit yeah. about the ABA and the, and the debates.
0: Uh, yeah, So lots of uh, controversy, but you know, I, Charlie got ABA therapy. Yeah. It was just my, my life changed at that point. And so, you know, by the time Jude was uh, Charlie's age, when Jude was around two years old, He was talking, but, you know, not a lot. Um, He had a lot of steaming, a lot of uh, sensory issues. And, like, I was, you know, a little, like, nervous about what was going on. But he was, like, very social. He has that personality. He's always happy, going to people. And, you know, he had some special interests. Around three years old, he started being, like, really interested in math and, like, really good at it. And then by, by five... And, you know, it became clear that it wasn't just, you know, like quirky and like, it was also autism, but Jude was diagnosed with level one autism, which is probably what you're diagnosed with too, Tony. Uh, you know, back
2: three. then was Asperger's.
0: Asperger's, yeah. which I guess now goes into level one. Yeah. And same with me. And then there is Charlie, but Charlie is diagnosed with level three autism, which now we can call profound autism. And his behaviors are, like, uh, so severe. He's nonverbal, at 10 still. You know, he has something called pica, too, which is that he can't help but put non edible items in his mouth. Recently, he swallowed a screw. A surgeon had to get the screw out of his colon. It's just, it feels like almost two different diagnoses to me. So, same diagnosis for three of us in my family, but... We're also different from each other, you know.
2: Yeah, and it's very interesting, you know. And, and recently, yesterday, in fact, I watched the documentary. There was an autism speak about the challenging story, you and Charlie. And I see, you know, I see through your social media about the challenges with Pika and also what you mentioned early was about the, you know, the fight in the, within the school district and fighting for the rights of Charlie to to make sure that he's getting the support that he needs. Uh, towards the development and it's not easy you know you have to deal with these challenges not only as a parent but also living on the spectrum at the same time and as you mentioned you know there's three there's you charlie and jude but each of you has a different you know story and you know some similarities but also you know differences and if you can go uh, you know in terms of and i know it's an ongoing process you know what has helped you you know both as a parent and as an advocate to work with these challenges of not only the challenges that Charlie and Judah's face, but you have faced as well in this process. What has helped in this process if you can share that?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, for Charlie, what's helped the most is ABA therapy. <laughs> you know, there's like no doubt. He, he got into it when he was two years old and, By the time he was three, they had taught him to communicate using an AAC device. And it was just incredible to see him go from like screaming all day. Like, no kidding. Screaming and screaming. Because he couldn't communicate, you know. To being able to make himself heard. And it was like incredible. And they're still helping him now. You know, like with the PICA. Like, no one wants to deal with with Charlie cuz i mean he's a liability you know his his behaviors are like so 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 dangerous and so scary and you know he's my son i love him i can say he's you know he's, he's a handful and i i can't understand why someone like would feel scared of like watching him because of how severe his his behaviors are um but aba you know they haven't given up on him and they're still trying to teach him and I'm very thankful for that you know for me it's more about and you know that was the thing with my diagnosis it's like I feel like if I had gotten help earlier a lot of the struggles I went through as a child I probably wouldn't have if I had known I was on the spectrum and like that was my the one thing I regretted when I was diagnosed was ah, darn it so it wasn't me like there was nothing wrong with me I was just different. I needed like to be communicated with differently, you know? And I wish I had I had known that earlier. But now, you know, just like one-on-one therapy for me is, is great because I know what to focus on. And I know why I struggle with what I struggle with. Um, and with Jude now, I feel like he's the one who's going to like get the, I don't know. It's gonna for whom it's gonna be the easiest because now he has my, you know, I've been there, like I, I know what his struggles. You know, like just earlier, like he, he didn't want to go to the playground because there are people. He was afraid of that, you know, and I totally can relate to a lot of of his worries and yeah, Jude did some ABA too, but really the thing for him is that he has a lot of anxiety too. He needs to be challenged his brain is going constantly he has so much going in his brain and so we had to change school because the public school just wasn't working for him either but for different reasons than charlie and uh yeah so he's in a private school now and we're just trying to keep him challenged and busy you know so he doesn't get bored and also so he doesn't get bullied because he dealt with that too and he was you know in first and second grade I was like no he's not gonna go through that you know he's just a kid already like and changing school has really helped with that the public school you know and his teacher were teachers were great but they're so overwhelmed in public school like there is only so much they can do you know when the school doesn't have the funding and so yeah
2: Oh, definitely, and 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 and, and it's, it's a process. Well, this is a process. You know, it's ups and downs in this process, and you have done you know a tremendous job under the stress, the pressure, in providing the best quality of education. I and mean, you know, not only education, but also in terms of quality of life for your children and your family. And that's the that's the most important thing. And it's an ongoing process, and you learn from this. And very proud of what you have done and your story. Again, give you a great sample, of a, a leading example for not only autistics but also parents as well with special needs children. And Eileen, now you know, speaking about the wonderful ABA therapy. Unfortunately, you know, as you know, there are what I you know, there are you know, this the debates out there in the autism world about ABA therapy the first, the third use of language, or I don't know, they come with different terms. First, autism, autistic, neurodiversion is like so many terms. Then we had the debates of the parents with, against autistics, autistics, and real autistics, actual autistics, criticism of organizations, seeing autism as a disability or superpower, all of this. That you know this very well. Um my question for you is, you know, today, and you're, I know you have dealt with this as an advocate. You know, why do you think about all of these debates? You know, what has helped you in terms of dealing with these debates? Uh, do you think that these debates are really uh, taking us closer to what I believe should be the mission in regards to autism, which is quality of life, or these debates are continuous to take us away from that mission? What what is your your perspective?
0: Yeah, I mean that's what keeps me going through all the you know social media hate because people don't necessarily agree with the things I find helpful for my family for myself. It's just that it works for me. It works for thousands, hundreds of thousands of other people. So I respect the fact that what works for me doesn't work for other people but i also won't accept that you know i'm being harassed because people don't like what works for me like this is the thing that's really difficult in the autism communities that people are trying to make it that we're one voice and it's just not how it works because we're all different people i mean just like we've been talking about you know like it's three autistic people in my family And, you know, I'm closer to Jude, you know, our struggles than Charlie, but we're still different. You and I, same diagnosis, different struggles, different strengths. And so when people, like, go on social media and say, well, autistic people hate the puzzle piece. Like, uh, excuse me, no, I mean, I don't. Uh, I know lots of people who don't. So, like, speak for yourself, you know, and people can't do that they always have to make it, you know, something that it's not, and it's just frustrating, and honestly, I don't know, maybe that's the French in me, but, like, the more I feel like people are, like, wrong, in a way, like, they are coming at me, the more I'm gonna, like, fight back, you know, it's, like, the, the revolution, okay, well, you're trying to silence me, well, I'm just gonna, like, shout it louder because there are a lot of people who agree with me there are a lot of people who are like scared to speak up on social media because you've bullied them into silence with things that are not true so now I'm gonna speak louder for those who are like too scared to you know take that social media hate so that's what keeps me going because I know that we're a majority but that the other people they're so vocal that you would think that there are like too many of them but really they're just they're a vocal minority because most people they don't just go on someone's social media and insult them they don't go and say wow you're abusive for putting yourself into into therapy oh i'm going to call cps uh, because uh, your child is having like a cookie you know like these things are just like so so stupid right I mean, let's call them that i think it's okay for someone to say hey I had a bad experience with an ABS therapist. Totally fine to say. But to say ABS therapy is abusive and to generalize, that's where I draw the line, you know? I think people need to understand that they need to share their personal experience. I'm only speaking for myself right now as one autistic person. I don't pretend to speak on behalf of the entire community and no one should. And I think that's important to remember
2: well said and, and 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 it's okay to have differences that's not you know in reality that's not the issue here it's okay to have differences it's the way that unfortunately different individuals approach those differences and go to the insult and the attack and the personal attack on you know unnecessarily i mean but... proclaiming that they you know they speak for everybody wishing in this which is completely false which is completely bs I mean, I speak. I can only only speak for myself too, about my perspectives as an autistic person, and also as an advocate and working with this community, parents, and autistic individuals. You know, from many, all parts of the world, and we need. And I think that you know, if we don't take care of those issues, you know, you know, again, you know, pointless attacks, unnecessary attacks then we're not, I believe we're not going to go farther in our mission. That's the way I see it. There have been progress, yes, but there's still much more that needs to be done. And, you know, going along these lines, lean. I also wanted to ask you, um, you know, because we talk about autism, right? Social media, your story, my story, and the story of millions of people of this community around the world. We talk about awareness, then acceptance, and yes, we talk about, you know, the symbols, you know, apostles, which is all important. All of that is important. Um, but what do you think? And I'm, I've been thinking about this because, you know, from my end, thinking about, okay, what is missing right now in autism? Uh, what What is missing to take us closer to that mission of of making sure of getting everybody, no matter where you are on the spectrum or who you are with other condition to get the best quality of life possible from your experience and perspective, what do you think is missing? What else do you think that we can do better in regards to autism and provide the resources and the support for families and loved ones that have, that have, you know, that have loved ones on the autism spectrum. What do you think?
0: I think two things and they're very different. Um, first of all, I think, the autism and autistic community needs to come together because right now, there's a lot of infighting. And at the end of the day, I think we all want the same thing. We want more like services, more support, more awareness, more acceptance for autistic people. But the fighting on social media about like symbols, terminology, and all those useless things, honestly, it's not accomplishing that. Another thing is we need more awareness of, uh, of profound autism. And I speak about this because it's something very close to my heart with my son, Charlie. I feel like, and that makes sense. I feel like there is more awareness of, you know, level one Asperger's because by definition, we're able to self-advocate, right? So we're going to be on social media talking about it because we can. Someone like my son, Charlie can do it. So, it requires the parents doing it. But when parents do it, they get attacked, right? So, it's really difficult. And also, I feel like at this point in, in time, people want the feel good story the autistic uh, person, nonverbal until age seven, graduated high school. But that's not a reality for a lot of autistic people, you know, as much as I would love for Charlie to graduate high school, if at 18 he's able to not see a screw and eat it, I will be happy, that's my goal for Charlie, it's not for him to graduate, does it mean that it's, you know, not worthy of celebration, if he reaches that goal, no, it's just that we have different goals and I feel like we should be able to celebrate these goals that are not like media worthy you know it's not going to get a headline in the newspaper but for my family that would be incredible you know if Charlie gets to the point where he can understand that eating a screw is dangerous and that's a goal that should be celebrated just as much as someone who's able to to graduate high school and I think we need more awareness we need more awareness for people to understand that you know, not all all of autistic people are going to be able to be like you and me and others. There are some autistic people who have very severe behaviors and they need so much support. And right now, the support is not there. I can tell you, you know, I was singing the praise of the United States, but it also varies by state, right? Some states are so much better. And I'm in Texas, and when it comes to autism services we're at the bottom and Charlie has been on the waiting list for respite care for instance for I don't know eight years I want to say at this point seven or eight years and they told me it's gonna be an additional 15 years 15 years like that's how long I have to wait for more help for Charlie you know and that's that's not okay and how are we gonna get that help by talking about it you know, let's spread even more awareness. People often say we don't need a aw- we don't need awareness; we need acceptance. How do you get acceptance? By raising awareness, right? So we still need a lot more awareness because I bet you that most people haven't heard of PICA, you know, which is a very common co-occurring condition with autism, for instance. And we hear a lot about level one autism and not so much about profound autism. And I think it's, it's important uh, to get more services.
2: I'm with you and and talk about the different issues that are not, that are not talked about enough in autism, even going to adulthood, for example, in terms of the justice system, you know, in terms of the interaction with the law enforcement, for example. Right. There's a reality that there's a lot, you know, there are autistic individuals that are in jail right now and they're innocent. Why well, we're not talking about that right now? For example, in terms of the legal and you know system, also faith-based initiatives. I'm also you know a big proponent you know of you know working with faith-based initi- organizations. And to be honest, they haven't done enough. You know, they have. There are some organizations, faith-based organizations, that do a tremendous job, but we we need. I need. I want to see much more from the churches in the community in terms of special needs families. That's one area we need to talk about. Uh, guardianship, housing, and jobs, healthcare, the waivers you mentioned about, the, you know, the waiver, the long wait, you know, for where I am in Florida, the ridiculous uh, waiting list of seven to fourteen years, which is outrageous and BS. You know, that's that's I'm calling it like it is. Uh, those are the things that need to be talked about because, again, all of this go into the mission of quality of life, and that's what the mission of autism is. Awareness is important. Acceptance is important. Action, education, all of that is important. We need to talk about, you know, profound severe autism. We need to show it all. And the key is how to get those resources and supports to help. Now, because again, and only another thing I want to also mention is that autism not only impacts the person with a diagnosis but also the family. You know, parents that have to give up their job to take care of their loved ones, and through my job. I receive those calls every day. You know what's going to happen when I'm not there when, for there for my for my son for my daughter anymore. Uh, the siblings have to take you know, would the siblings be able to take care of, of the child? The uncles, you know, there's a lot of questions about that, and those are the things we need to talk about autism more often.
0: Yeah, thank thank you, Tony, for mentioning the the families because. You know there is that uh, belief that only autistic people should be speaking about autism like that's something i hear a lot from people on social media and no because i mean almost at least a third of autistic people wouldn't even be able to self-advocate so if you're only giving a voice to autistic people and not their family members you're only going to be hearing about you know. Maybe half two third of the autistic community, you know, there's gotta be everyone deserves a voice. Siblings and parents, caregivers, professional teachers, and I think that's an important thing to uh, to remind people of. So thank you.
2: My pleasure. And Eileen, as we conclude to our, our you know our interview, I want to talk about your work. Uh, I know you know we know that you created the Autism Cafe blog website. Uh, what motivated you to create the Autism Cafe? You know, what motivated you in terms of doing that?
0: You know, it's funny. I get asked that question a lot. And I was like, it just kind of happened. Like I started talking, you know, right. So first thing that happened is that Charlie got diagnosed with autism. And then uh, I wanted to keep my uh, family in France informed, you know, on autism. I wanted to kind of like raise awareness of autism within my friends group. You know how you have a, a private profile on Facebook and it's just your friends? So I started sharing there. And I, I wrote a post that like, everyone was like, oh, you got to make that public. It's so good. So I made that post public. And little did you know, the thing went viral. That was a post in French. And that was just on my personal Facebook. and uh, And from there, it kind of like snowballed. And someone was like, oh, you should start a Facebook page. So I started a Facebook page. And that Facebook page reached a lot of people. And uh, yeah, it snowballed from there. And people were like, oh, I can so relate to what you're saying. You know? And it just made me feel less alone. Because as much as, you know, I want to connect with parents of autistic people at the time. Every time I met, not every time, but like I went to a party at Charlie's ABS Center when Charlie was two I was trying to connect with his parents, people who get it, right? But all the kids were like talking, and you know, they had challenges that were so different from Charlie's. So it was like I had met people that, you know, that was supposed to get it, but nobody had a nonverbal child that I had met at that party, for instance. And then I I went on Facebook, and there were so many people who had nonverbal children, and you know, were going through the same thing. So. It was a nice way for me to connect I was really a way for me to connect at first and then it turned into you know raising awareness sharing our story and yeah I just snowballed from there and now my I think my mission is just uh ready for people to understand how broad the spectrum is and that uh You know, autistic people are all different from each other. I love that quote from Dr. Stephen Shore. If you know one autistic person, you know one autistic person because it's true. And I think that's why it's important that many autistic people share their stories.
2: Definitely. It's about sharing their their stories, not only the achievements, but the defeats, the difficulties, the pains, the sad moments. That's what makes it a complete story. And that's what we're here for. And Eileen, I know that you wrote two books, All Across the Spectrum and Be The One. Can you tell us a little bit about your books?
0: Yeah, so All Across the Spectrum was like my childhood dream. I always tell people when they ask me, what do you want to do? I want to write books. And you know, everyone would laugh. Ta-da! <laughs> so yeah, that was like really, really great for me. I, when Charlie was diagnosed and I was diagnosed and everything like fell into place I had just so much on my mind that I needed to like write about it was just like crazy to me that revelation that I was on the spectrum too you know and that that's why I struggled with this that's why I struggled with that that's why I was good at that you know and then there was also the realization that but wait, I have the same diagnosis as my son, but like he's nonverbal, and, you know, it seems different. And so my book was just about sharing about, you know, my discovery of being autistic, but also about the challenges of raising a child with uh, severe autism and also about social media, because I was very new to social media then. And honestly, I, I didn't handle the hate as much as I, as well as I do now. Um, but I, I speak about that too, because I think any new parent who has a child being diagnosed, who goes to social media and sees the fighting is probably thinking, "Oh, my God, And you know, it must be like very overwhelming. So I speak about that a little bit. And then my second book be the one is it's more like a poetry book, self-help, inspirational, I guess. it's just for people. I don't want people to feel alone. And I speak, it's very, very raw and open. I speak about, you know, failure and French failed relationships and anxiety and, you know, overthinking and like very, very real things that I think a lot of people feel and don't speak about because, you know, it's hard to be vulnerable. So it's a very vulnerable book.
2: Oh, well, definitely. Uh, and, and I know your books have had a profound impact, not only on autism, but also mental health in different areas of, of life and, and, and your story and that, you know, your story is truly valuable, Eileen, and your contributions, not only to autism, but also in society in general, you know, when mental health and everything have been tremendous, I'm very proud of you, very proud of the work that you do uh, for our community. And be, and before we go, Eileen, I just wanted to ask you if you have a final message for society, community, parents about autism. Any special message for the autism community and the parents that you'd like to share?
0: Yeah, I think uh, first, don't forget about profound autism because, you know, inspirational stories are great, but you got to remember that a lot of people are not going to have that happy ending that you see in the media. And we, we need help and we need support. And the last thing would be, Just remember that if you've met one autistic person, you've met one autistic person. And if someone on social media tells you the autistic community hates this, just know that it's not true. Whatever it is, they're going to tell you it's not true because there is not one autistic community. We're all different. We're all different people. And it's important to remember that we all have different views and that's okay.
2: Well said. And Eileen, uh, how did, how can people find you on social media? And you can share also, also your website as well.
0: Yeah, it's uh, the autism cafe. One word, no spaces, on Instagram and Facebook. And then it's uh eileen.lam on TikTok. And my website is uh
2: Perfect. I'm and I'm gonna put all the so all your social media links and website. If people are interested in buying your books and supporting your work, which you know for me your work is you know is tremendous and important for our community, I'm gonna put them on on the post once this episode of my part of my time is published.
0: Thank you so much, Tony. It was a pleasure uh, chatting with you as always.
2: Thank you, and, and this is your home. Thank, you. and you're always welcome to come here and talk about this, you know about our world, which is artists. And Eileen, again, thank you so much for being able to, for having participate in this episode of my time. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. A very inspirational story indeed for Ms. Eileen Lamp, And, and we really appreciate her work for the autism community. And so if you haven't done so, I invite you now to subscribe to my podcast in all the platforms on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, and among others. And if you haven't done so yet, I invite you to please subscribe to all my social media under Tony Hernandez Pumarejo. And if you like this episode, like, share with everybody that you know. And I really appreciate your support always. So this has been Tony Hernandez Pumarejo for this episode of My Time with Tony Hernandez Pumarejo. And until next time, I'll see you around. God bless.
1: Well, this is the end of another episode of My Time with Tony Hernandez Pumarejo. Tony hopes you liked it. If you'd like to learn more about the work Tony does, subscribe to him on his social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, which is now X, and his LinkedIn page. You can also follow Tony on his website at TonyHernandezPumarejo.com. Also, if you are interested in getting a copy of his book, An Autism Unscripted Life, You can purchase it on Amazon or any book selling platform. You can also obtain a copy through his website. So, until the next time you meet, thank you and have a wonderful day. Blessings.